I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Marrying the Machinery with the Method in Strip-Till, is being brought to you by Topcon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this series. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. And I'd like to invite you to attend the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference, July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to strip till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, kicking the tires on a new tractor or scheduling seasonal maintenance for a combine or planter are common necessities that keep farmers coming through the doors of their local farm equipment dealership. But when it comes to strip-till equipment, farmers are often looking for a more unique level of expertise and support. As a niche farming practice, strip-till requires an intimate understanding of how different parts of the system correlate to an overall objective, whether it's increasing yields, improving soil health, targeting fertilizer application, or all three. Striking the right balance between equipment and inputs to maximize the benefits of strip-till is a constant work in progress. With so many moving parts, literally and figuratively, having a local resource who is knowledgeable on setting up and maintaining a strip-till system can be a luxury for farmers, while at the same time, an opportunity for dealers. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Topcon Agriculture, we welcome in Matt Miller, who has first-hand experience strip-tilling and also supporting farm customers in the practice as an equipment technician at Butler Egg Equipment in Fremont, Nebraska. Today he shares tips and tactics to control variables and improve efficiency with a strip-till system front to back. What I want to share with you today and have you take away from this is controlling variables equals success. So we're going to talk a lot about variables with the strip-tilling system and some of the variables that I see, the things that I ran into, and the things that you're gonna experience, even if you're already running a strip-till machine, if you're looking at getting into it, these are some of the things that you're gonna be faced with and, and have to deal with. So some of the things that uh, may seem very obvious, but they need to be looked at. So our tractor type, and we're just gonna start from the front, work our way back. So the tractor type, uh, there's various tractors out there. There's various tractors on your farm the hitch type so this is going to make a difference in how we set up the system auto steer system this has been talked about a lot these last two days i think it's it's kind of been beat pretty hard and we've we've got a good idea of where we need to go there but i'll share some insights with you uh, from the dealership side as well that i've experienced we've heard some about implement steering systems as well 
So we'll, we'll kind of jump into that if you're curious on that. Um, correction types, we've talked about that a lot up to this point as well. I'll go a little deeper into that, more for your reference if you're not familiar with some of it or, or why we are going the way we are. I mean, antenna placement, it's more specific, but for those of you that are running, any type of guidance, just little takeaways for you there as well, year after year. Offsets, this was one that I really struggled with running this strip till machine. This was a hard one for me to kind of pin down and get right. We'll definitely touch on that. I'll share with you some of my experience and, and the things that I did to overcome that. The speed that we're running it, so this makes a difference on, on the quality of our operation, what we're doing. So that's something else to look at. The inputs, um, we'll touch a little bit on that. That's probably something to talk more in depth on the manufacturer of your strip till and, and your options there. And then some of the other variables, if we get real specific on the, the actual strip till unit, as we go through each one of these different parts of the unit, as we make changes, and, and Carrie Knuth kind of alluded to that and talked about that a little bit uh, in his, his opening talk, when you make changes, making them one at a time, seeing how it, how it fits. Um, but the, these things can also affect other things on the, on the system. So things to be aware of there. So we talk about tractor type. These are kind of the general overview of, of what options that we have. When it comes to wheeled tractors, um, we're probably looking more at the mechanical front wheel drive. If we go down that path, which was uh, the path that we went down, there's a lot of things to take into consideration there as well. One of the big ones probably is like I experienced the weight factor, the ballasting, the lift capacity. Um, one thing that we, we probably overlook too much is tire inflation. So we, we get bombarded by that in the automotive industry when, when you, know, you see the commercials on TV of increase your fuel efficiency on your pickup by having the right tire pressures. I don't think we look at that enough when it comes to the field operations that we're doing. So whether it's articulated, mechanical front wheel drive, um, those are the types of things that we need to be looking at. And that's not just strip tilling, that's any field operations, but that's just kind of getting our mindset, right? Of what we need to look at year after year, even operation to operation. You know, there's parts of the country, we're in one right here where, where track machines are fairly prevalent as well um, and, and getting into the strip till and there's advantages for that. I know there's been some speakers talk about actually going away from the wheel to the tract just for um, some benefits that, that they've seen. So some things to keep in mind. Um, I know if it was a possibility for our operation, uh, we would have probably made a change right away. Um, just based off of the tractor we were running, it probably wasn't the best fit. And don't be afraid to look at those things and, and, and don't be afraid to look at making a change there. I know some of it seems very obvious, but it's almost opening our minds to let's look at everything that goes on in the operation. Horsepower requirements, ours was 25 minimum. Um, make sure of reading the, reading the manual, find out really what these machines require. Um, if it means actually doing a demonstration on your farm, hooking up to your tractor to see how that thing pulls, do it. If you have the opportunity to, they pull in different soils, um, different terrain, and, and what they're rated for could be just pulling on flat ground. Um, so, so don't overlook that either. So the hitch type, I know I've seen a lot of mounted type. Um, that's what we were doing. There's pull types out there. You know, you get to a bigger machine and you're gonna go to a pull type. The big thing with this is just 
how it pulls and the fact that one has a pivot point and one doesn't. So there again, it's, there's another variable there if, if we're gonna go to a pull type versus a, a mounted type. Same thing with planters, right? I mean, we, we've all experienced that as well. If we're going with a mounted system, some of the things that we wanna look at on the machine side is the linkage and sway blocks, making sure those are tight, in good condition. The draft control as well, so using electronic draft control. You know, if we don't have the depth banding wheels, like we didn't, uh, we had to make sure that our draft control is working correctly. On a pull type, you know, looking at the machine, the tongue, making sure that theoretically that machine needs to pull straight, right? And we'll get into some of the offset things, but look it over, see, see how it looks, if that tongue is, is perpendicular to the machine and, and just, you know, obvious things that we don't want to overlook. So Mark kind of touched on this, the mechanical, that's what we started out with. You know, it worked fairly well for us. Um, we were not running guidance on the planning tractor behind the strip till um, the first couple years. So for us, it was nice to just get an auto steer in the strip till tractor and have straight rows, right? Eventually we ended up putting guidance on the planning tractor as well. But really the ideal situation, I've seen this time and time again is, is you know, a lot of the OEMs are putting the hydraulic steering into the machines they have for several years. If, if it means that you get into a tractor that has that capability, um, by all means, I would do it, um, both from a support standpoint as well as a, a user standpoint. And I think, you know, a lot of us are familiar with that. Things to consider. I know when we sit down with a customer and, and start looking at tractors, you know, we go through all the things of horsepower and lift and, um, you know, wheel setup and things. There's, there's times where maybe, maybe a tractor is ordered without the option of hydraulic steering. It's easy to overlook. If you're in the market, you're looking, you know, make sure that this is one thing that's, that's on the machine. So the implement steering, um, there's a couple different kinds of implement steering systems. And, and this really comes into play more so probably in terrain that I've seen anyway, but also again, it's, it's controlling those variables. Right, so if, if, if it's a situation where we need, it's just not good enough to way, the way that that thing is pulling, um, maybe this is a, a solution that we need to look at. Um, so the passive implement steering system is, is basically we're just putting an antenna on that strip till bar so that we know where it's at, but we're not actively steering it. We're steering the tractor to keep that implement online. So, you know, on a mounted implement, it's probably a good solution. Um, if we're on a pull type, depending on terrain and things, uh, it may not be the best solution. You know, that tractor is constantly offline correcting to keep the strip till online. With the active though, we basically have a, an additional hydraulic steering system on that implement to keep that thing online. So that's obviously gonna be a more accurate solution if you're having an issue with that staying online. There's a, uh, an example of one um, active steering solution for a strip-till rig. And I know the, we've got a couple Earthman guys in here too. You guys have a great solution as well. If, if uh, you have questions or, or want, a, want a solution for that too, um, they've got a great product as well. But this, this kind of gives you an idea on, on what we're talking about here. Um, there, there is a little bit to it, but it, it's a great solution if it's um, the need. So we'll talk a little bit about correction sources, and I know we've, we've touched quite a bit on this uh, here at the conference, but this kind of, I found this illustration, I, I just thought it was a great way to explain this. 
a little bit what Mark was talking about too with the wasp signals early on. Um, you know, they're rated at six to eight inches, pass to pass. And as we all know, you get that strip till zone that we have to be in. We just don't have that kind of play, right? Um, we just can't be that far off. So we talk six to eight inches pass to pass. That's at least 12 to 16 inches total side to side. So it's just, uh, it's really not an option. Look at the Omnistar or like an SF2 on a, on a deer system. Um, we're looking at two to four inches. So total pass to pass, um, we're looking at four to eight. Um, a lot of studies show that if you're any more than two inches off of, off of that nutrient zone, we're at, a, we're at a yield loss already. So even this option um, probably isn't good enough. A lot of days it, it may seem like it, but we fought a lot with this uh, from a support standpoint um, with this option anyway. And I don't, I don't deer with, deal with the deer systems, um, but as far as, as far as this option goes, um, there's a lot of frustration with that as well. Um, one thing to take in consideration as well is what they call convergence time. So with this solution, it takes you at least 30 minutes to get to that two to four inches. So you're gonna sit there and you're gonna wait for it. And then if you ever lose that signal, you're gonna wait another 30 to 45 minutes. So this is, this is the big reason why we've all gone to RTK using a strip till. So we're, we're on that plus or minus one inch pass to pass. And that gives us, you know, that maximum of two inches side to side. Um, and also that, that brings in if we come back the next day, we come back the next week, month, or year, that when we pull into that pass, um, we're gonna be right where we need to be year after year. For our operation, we just went down the same passes every year. So we had our line um, and we were stripping down that same line. And I would, would honestly say um, year two, year three, that by doing that, you establish that strip and, and it, it really did pull easier um, there was there was probably less horsepower requirement there just by running down that same strip. But the only way to do that is through an RTK solution. There's probably three different ways that you can you can get an RTK solution through either a base station, through radio signal, through a cellular modem, and there's there's lots of options out there now as well um, to get that RTK signal. Or um, there's proprietary signals out there um, to be able to get that satellite based. So um, getting away from the reliance on on those other systems so if you got more questions on that grab me uh, we can talk more in depth on that um, but I, I think if you talk to an experienced strip tiller they're going to tell you you know don't don't fudge on this this you got to go all the way with this and and mark did talk about the cost of it and it's a big investment to get into um, but i think having having the knowledge going into it you know, I'm gonna have to spend this money. This is just gonna be part of the startup of my strip till system. Some things I wanna uh, kinda touch on here just uh, as an FYI for, for both the, the people that are running strip tills currently and, and looking at doing it, is some of the things coming down the pipeline here. We had the same struggles early on as, as what some of the other speakers talked about as far as having that GPS signal, losing it, sitting in the field, waiting for it. Um, we started before, you know, even the GLONASS satellites were, were fully operational worldwide. So there would be, you know, I could just plan on it every day. 
between two and three o'clock, we would be down to about five satellites and, and I would just start weaving through the field. So I just had to stop. Um, it, it just was not good enough to keep going. So once we got the GLONOS, that, that brings in even, you know, that many more satellites to be able to run off of. Guys running nowadays, they probably don't drop below 10 satellites, which is very good. I mean, that's, that's more than enough to run an accurate line with. Um, you may have heard of these other two here, and there's there's additional ones yet, but these are these are the first ones coming online. The Galileo. So this is being developed by the European Union and other other countries as well. It began operation last year, but you know they're going to be fully deployed by 2020. So by that point, we're talking about 24 additional satellites. Um, so you probably figure in at any time of the day, maybe five or more. So we're looking at, with, with just the, the regular GPS satellites, the GLONASS, the Galileo, are at like 15 minimum. That just means better accuracy for what we're doing, right? So, so keeping in that strip zone, um, keeping our implement online, it's just gonna benefit, benefit us even more. The Baidu um, being developed by China, that's, again, that's gonna be fully operational by 2020. That's an additional 35 probably talking about an additional seven or more. So we're talking about, I mean, at any time of the day, we're at 20 plus satellites um, in the next few years here. So to me, that's, that's a huge deal just because, um, you know, in what I do, the phone calls that I get on a, on a weekly basis um, come back to this a lot. And again, it's just being informed of, of how this all works, but this, this is a big deal. If you're, if you're currently running guidance systems, if you're looking at getting into them, this is a huge deal. Um, this, is, this is gonna change things even more so than what the GLONASS did if you, if you were part of that when that first came online. To play into that, we're gonna require some additional or upgraded hardware to be able to tie in with those systems. So if you're, you're at a point where you know in the next year or two, or if you're just getting into it, you're gonna have to, to purchase a new system Keep this in mind when you're looking at systems because right now, generally most of our systems will pull in an L1 or an L2 signal. So, so L1 would just be like our WAS signal, just a free signal. Anybody can pull it up. Uh, we've been able to do this for decades. The L2 is required to pull in an RTK signal. Now the L5, and there's, there's some additional, I didn't want to get too deep in this, but just kind of broad overview, the L5 it's a carrier, so it's, a, it's another form of a signal. Now, if you have a system that's only able to pull in an L1 or L2, you won't be able to receive this L5, which is going to, to play into these additional satellite constellations. So when we sit down with customers, we talk about what kind of a system we're gonna go to. Uh, maybe you're you know, shopping online and, and looking at Craigslist or, or wherever to, uh, to find a good use system. Um, that may come into effect in these next years to come, just based on the ability of whether it can do this or not. So if you're sitting down, you're crunching the numbers, you're saying, okay, what kind of investment are we gonna have to make here? Is it wise for us to purchase something that's gonna be capable of doing what we want it to do in the next five years? Five years is basically the lifetime of any precision equipment. I mean, that's just what we figure it on. Um, that's the lifetime of a display, controller, those types of things. So if, when you're looking at it, you want to look at at least five years ahead. 
wanted to throw this out to you just to kind of uh, keep you aware of that as you're looking for, for other solutions down the road. So how would you be able to uh, know whether a, a system is capable of the L5? Just going back, um, if you've got a precision guide that you deal with, dig into it with them. There's, there's no indicators, basically it's, it's just uh, when it's been developed and brought to market, it's marketed that way. So it, it just goes back to the antenna of the system. So whether that's able to, to see those constellations or not. You know, we could probably sit down and make a list of them. Um, this works, this doesn't. Um, it, it just comes back to what system you have and, and digging deeper into that. There's a lot of information about this online um, and it's probably worth looking into if you're interested. Um, but just, you know, it's just like you know, purchasing a vehicle that, that you know you want to be able to do certain things with and, and have the capabilities of doing. You don't want to be purchasing another system because it wasn't capable of this. So are any of the current systems capable of L5 signal? Yes, yes, they are. Um, I would say, uh, depending on the brand, probably um, within the last two years, roughly, depending on what brand, but apologize because I'm not giving you specific information, but I'm not necessarily endorsing any one company. We work with a lot of different technology companies, um, but I would say within the last two years, because they know that this is coming down the pipeline, right? Um, they know that they wanna be in the game. They wanna have the capabilities to pull these in. So do some talking. If you've got a precision person that you work with, um, bring this up in a conversation. Um, see if they're aware of it or if they're um, doing their due diligence, you know, to, to make sure that you're in a position where you can be profitable. Yeah, so is the antenna or the screen different? Uh, just, just basically the antenna. Um, is where it comes into. Um, but with, with the new systems, the antenna, the receiver, everything's updated. Um, but it comes down to the capability of the antenna of being able to pull in these signals. We'll get back to Matt's discussion shortly, but I want to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Matt noted both the tangible and intangible advantages associated with precision guidance. On his family farm, the addition of guidance meant they'd be less tired at the end of the day and there would be less variance in the guest rows. While Matt has plenty of experience working with other farmers overcoming their obstacles to successful precision farming implementation, a pinch point has involved getting guidance systems adjusted for the strip-toe rig side pole. As he says, every piece of field equipment has some side pole, and that is especially true on the strip-toe rig. For him, it took some time and thinking to adjust the searing system to compensate for that drift. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Matt Miller on some of the support considerations strip-tillers should consider with technology. So antenna placement, I won't talk a lot about this, but I wanted to just touch on this because this is a, uh, 
this is an issue from a support standpoint that I run into from time to time. As you do your seasonal checkups on your machines and, and if you're running guidance, um, take a look at your antenna placement. A lot of times we've got plates um, that these mount to, like on the deer systems, it's, it's obviously not movable, but, but take a look at this. This can cause us a lot of problems from a troubleshooting standpoint when it comes to the precision systems. Um, take a look at this just as you're, as you're doing your seasonal checks um, and making sure that this guy is in the center of the machine. Um, as we go through and do our calibrations and things, everything is based off of this antenna. So I, I know it seems very elementary and kind of like a, well, duh, but a lot of guys don't. And we can, we can go out and we can start going down rabbit holes that we don't need to go down from a, from a support standpoint just based off of this. So it only takes you know, a minute to measure it um, to make sure that that thing hasn't bounced around going down the, the washboard roads or anything. Um, just, just be aware of that, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, so the reason that I put this up here is that, you know, they recommend placements close to the fixed axle. I've seen guys hang them off the front of the hood, um, and that works for them. Um, I don't have a recommendation. I, you know, most of ours get mounted like they do in the picture here. To me, it makes more sense having it out in the front, just based off of, and again, it comes back to your hitch type and things, but like for us, we were running a mounted three-point strip till. Anytime the nose of that tractor moves even an inch to the left or right, the strip till is going to mimic that, right? And the farther back the strip till is, the more that's going to be pronounced. So it makes sense to me to do that. Um, the only problem is on these guidance systems, they've got to do a lot of calculations in the background. So those calculations are based off of where that is in relation to the fixed axle. So it's gonna be more calculations in the background, but to me, it makes more sense. I've seen them mounted on the back of the cab. Well, your pivot point is gonna be basically that, that draw bar, the center of that fixed axle. That antenna is not gonna know when to correct its, what position it's in other than just a compass. So your, your yaw movement. So to me, it makes more sense to have it farther out um, just because it's going to sense that sooner than than even where it's at here again we're if we're doing this we're we're somewhat innovators and uh, we're not afraid to try new things i would give it a i would give it a whirl what about on an articulated tractor yep it, yeah the closer closer to the fixed axle um and and we've got more variables there right um the pivot points going to be behind the antenna and again it comes down to calculations on how that's that's figured in it probably makes more of a difference on our calibrations when it comes to an articulated tractor than necessarily the antenna portion of it. What I've seen anyway, from my experience, is if, if that tractor is not calibrated correctly, our sensitivities aren't set right, we're just gonna be fighting it. We're gonna be fighting that, that pivot point constantly. Um, so that I would, I would say more so our calibrations is more important so offsets was, this was something that I struggled with probably the first two years of us running the strip till machine. So the first, the first year um, we ran the strip till, we were not running guidance. Um, second year we got guidance on the strip till machine, but we were following it with just driving manually. So there wasn't really an issue there. It was just as good as the guy running the planner could follow it. 
Um, once we got guidance in the planter tractor, this started coming into effect um, somewhat on how that followed the strip till. But also, when we look at the, the wide and narrow guest rows, this, this is gonna come into play. It's a matter of trying to figure out why that's happening, okay? How many guys experience year to year the wide narrow guest row and, and we've got to make adjustment for it or we just say screw it we're just going to keep going for us it was a, it was a matter of trial and error um, measuring putting in the offset making a pass following with the planner make adjustments do the same thing make adjustments one thing i will say is that no two implements pull the same um, very rarely do they pull straight we think they do very rarely do they so this is something that if, if we can get dialed in, and, and for us the key was setting up that separate implement so that when we came back the next year, we didn't have to try to remember, okay, which way did we offset? How much did we offset that? So that everything kind of works together. So here's an example, and I'm gonna start where I would start um, from a precision support standpoint. So the first thing before you even hook on to an implement is is we make a track on track calibration so so your your precision person has probably done this if they come and install the the guidance system for you but basically we're making one pass we're coming back the other direction on that same pass and we're looking at the tire treads one over the other so if we're off we need to make that adjustment and this is very important because once we get to the implement um, it, it's going to compound itself if we don't deal with it so this is why I said it's very important for us to have that antenna in the right position so that when we come to this, um, it's just building upon itself, right? Once we get this tuned in, then we come back and we do any adjustments on the implement. So if we don't do this in order, um, we're basically wasting our time. And you're, and you're paying for a, a precision person to be out there trying to get this figured out. So again, the same theory. We make a pass one way, come back the other way, um, next to it and we, we check our guest rows and then we make an additional pass so that we check both sides of the implement. Now if we are, you know, say uh, on 30 inch rows we're at 32 and 28, then we make that adjustment in there and then we do it again, we make three passes. And we keep tweaking that until we get it just right. And then what we had to do was basically just, once we got the strip till where we needed it to be, then we went in and did the, did the planner, did the same thing. And this is really something that, you know, we, we get called out to do. It's somewhat complex, but I think having the knowledge of the theory of this um, will really help you, not just in strip tilling, but whatever field operation that you're doing. Just knowing how, how we go about this, how it needs to be done in order is really the important part of it. Okay, so speed, we kind of found the speed that that worked really well to make make the strips like we wanted them. There's there's definitely a speed, a higher speed that we did not want to go, just because once you get that machine set, um, it's really going to do some things that you don't want it to do. And and recommendations by the manufacturers are, um, you know, they've got these things dialed in um, to what, and we can push those a little bit. But just being aware that that this can play a factor into, you know, any adjustments that we make on that strip till rig as well. Um, can play into things. Inputs, so we were putting down 32% uh, down the, the back of the shank at, uh, I think, roughly six or eight inches. 
and that was kind of our program. We also did do a, a lay-by herbicide in the dryable beans, which worked really well, um, and we put that down right after those, those wavy coulters that kind of throw that dirt and make that berm. And then we had the back um, gauge wheels kind of mix that in, and that gave us about a six-week window to come back, cultivate those beans, and really have a, uh, an optimal environment for them to grow in. But just another thing to, to remember too, as far as the controllers go, if they can integrate into the system that you already have, or if you're looking at what kind of system do I need to get, make sure that that is capable of doing not just the steering on, on it, um, but also controlling any inputs that you wanna put on it. It's really hard when we walk into a situation of, you know, we've got two or three different brands of controllers in the cab and we're trying to figure out what's the culprit when it comes to the troubleshooting standpoint, um, that can give us some fits. And so it's just something to be, be thinking about, be made aware of. Um, another thing too, I would, some guys really, they make it really hard to, to hook and unhook year after year. And it's just, there's simple ways to do it. Um, so if you need some options there too, of just like a single plug hookup um, for those inputs, um, there's, there's a lot of solutions out there to really make it easier on yourself too. Because it, it's really hard to remember from year to year what, what you did the year before. So as we get into um, the last portion of it, um, you know, the row spacing, um, in our area there was, when I left the farm, there was more of the, the 20 inch rows coming about and that was kind of the, the hot topic. There were some 22 inch uh, sugar beet growers um, in the area as well. Um, you know, that doesn't play a lot into it, but again, if, um, you know, if we're changing row spacing on it, there's things that we need to look at there. You know, I just took this, this generic uh, Yetter unit here, but it kind of gives us a, an overview of, of the unit and some of the things that we can adjust on it. Um, I know on ours, I, I kind of struggled with those those wavy coulters or number four in that picture, adjusting the pitch on them. And if we get into a situation to where one of them is pitched more than the other on, on multiple units, that can also cause us to maybe cause that machine to pull over a little bit. Um, just like uh, you may see on planters with the, the closing wheels, how they're offset and they're symmetrical. Um, so we didn't really run into an issue there, but I can see um, if there's anything that's gonna pull this unit over, it's probably gonna be those, those closing discs there. So I, I would just say that if, if I had to do it all over again, I would probably go through and make a list, kind of what I've generated here, walk through it every spring, kind of find the things that I can control, the things that I can change and, and make better Obviously, there's going to be some things that we can't change or add um, to the system, but we can control what we can control, right? It's just good to be aware of these things. And I would encourage you to just, um, I know that, that springtime is a rush time of the year, but from a support standpoint, if, if I can get out with a customer, um, you know, if the weather kind of turns nice in March or in April, we can get out a week before he actually pulls in the field uh, to run his operation. It's all the better because then we, we're not rushed by time 
to try to get things right. And if you have the opportunity to do that, to just get the machine out, find an open field and, and go make these adjustments, you're gonna be all the better ahead in what you're doing. Thank you, Matt, for sharing your insight and advice on setting up and maintaining a productive, profitable strip-till system. And again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies Daily E-Blast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. And I'd like to again invite you to join us at the 5th Annual National Strip-Tillage Conference, July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to Strip-Till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on April 20th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series, and a reminder that you can still register to receive our Strip-Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Matt Miller, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <music>